if we look at ministry as my love relationship with God, that removes so many of the factors that I let entangle my soul in terms of how I gauge my self-worth. All those things that would push myself to be more emotionally driven than gospel driven, I find those things are greatly diminished when I lead my heart towards the Lord and intimacy first. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. One of the focal points on the Level Paths Podcast draws a distinction between Appalachia and the rest of the United States. The reason is because Appalachia is considerably unique. It has socioeconomic and geographic challenges that the rest of the country doesn't have to deal with. And more often than not, those things unique to Appalachia aren't realized until an Appalachian has the opportunity to look in from another perspective. On this Level Paths podcast, pastor and church planter Dean Fox gives some introductory thoughts on having been born and raised in Appalachia and what he has learned by being on the outside looking in. Dean is from South Point, Ohio, and now pastors LifePoint Church in Columbus, Ohio. He also works with the North American Mission Board's SEND Network. Dean will present more details about his perspective at the Appalachian Ministry Conference on April 25th. But right now, here's Dr. Matt Shamblin. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Matt Shamblin here with the Appalachian Ministry Institute, our Level Paths podcast, where it is our desire to see the valleys raised, the mountains leveled, uh, in order to see the glory of God in clear view. I'm alone today, and so I have the privilege of interviewing Dean Folks. Dean, welcome to the Level Paths podcast. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Dean, you are from Appalachia. You're not you don't live in Appalachia today. Give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and your connection to Appalachia. Yeah, so I grew up in a little town called South Point, Ohio, right on the river. It's as far south as you can go. So growing up, I could be in Huntington, West Virginia in five minutes and Ashland, Kentucky in about 10 minutes right there in the tri-state area. You were 10 or 20 minutes really away from nowhere. Uh, uh, there's, there's not a lot going on in Ashland or in South Point. But, no, but man, when I was a kid, like those were the big cities, right? Like those were Friday night. That's where you wanted to go, you know? That's right. Now, are you a graduate of South Point High School? Is that where you went? I am. I am. Yep. Now you have family who still live in the area, right? I do. So my dad is still there. My mom passed away about three years ago, but my dad, he still lives in the same house I grew up in. And then uh, my sister still lives there. My brother lives in Jackson, Ohio, which is still fairly close to the Appalachian region. And then my sister, my older sister, just moved back there as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself now. I know you live in the Columbus area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And you've planted a church up there. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you do now. After high school, I decided to go to the Ohio State University. Everyone hates that. We love it. Everyone else hates it. So I went to school here for four years, didn't really have any intention of going into ministry at that point, but had a very just unique experience. God kind of used two things, the campus ministry that I was in, and then going through Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby to really reveal a sense of calling in my life. I stayed and worked an extra year as a campus missionary at Ohio State before going to seminary in Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I met my wife, 
kind of went back and forth a little bit. I did some collegiate ministry, leadership in Ohio, helped plant the church in Memphis before coming back here uh, to Columbus, the north side, 2004, to plant the church that I currently lead. So you are the pastor of LifePoint Church. It's a multi-campus church. And so you've planted multiple campuses since mm-hmm. 2004. That's a short amount of time. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So initially, we were kind of a supporting church for church plants. And then we kind of grew into supporting and sending. And then, like you said, over the last few years, we've sent out a number of folks to go plant campuses. So we have live teaching pastors at each of our campuses. We teach the same passage of scripture, same kind of big idea theme. But then from there, the message is pretty much yours at your site. Do you guys get together and write those messages together or you just lay out the passage? Here's the passage. Here's the main theme. Take it and run with it on your own. Yeah, that's that's mainly what we do. We don't write the same points or same outlines or anything like that. We make them available to one another. And we're definitely, it's definitely beneficial to see what, oh, he's going to say this. I didn't see this. Or, you know, somebody will read a unique commentary or something like that. So it's definitely helpful. I've heard guys that they kind of in community write their messages. I'm I'm not sure how that could ever work. I'm kind of so dogged in the way that I'd write a message. I can't imagine getting together with anybody else like that and and yeah, write. I could not have imagined doing it the way that we do it when we started. From the get-go, I did all of the outlines, I did all of the research, and then I just kind of got used to the fact that, you know, from a research perspective and putting the series together and kind of thinking it through that I actually enjoyed, you know, hearing God speak through the other teaching pastors. But now when it comes down to the actual message, I'm saying, and it's fun to see we all do it differently. Some of us manuscript, some of us don't. Some of us use big outline, expanded outlines. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Just out of curiosity, do you manuscript it all out? Can't do it any other way. I've tried, man. I have tried. I can't do it any other way. Yeah. It requires a whole lot of confidence to stand in the pulpit Basically, with no safety, away you go. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny that, you know, when I tell people that I'm manuscript, I don't know about you, but I tell people I'm manuscript and they're like, well, you don't use it. And I'm like, I know. But that's what I have to have to stand up in the pulpit and feel like, hey, I really know this content. I live with it. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's just me. No, I get it. And I'm always afraid of the crazy things I may say if I don't think it through. It may be something that I regret. So you are also, you, you and I both are Southern Baptist, and you are the SIN coordinator for Columbus. Tell us what that is and tell us what that looks like. You know, the more we got involved in helping plant churches, when SEND, what was SEND North America, was started back in 2010, I was asked to help kind of coordinate church planting activities and just bring a lane to the momentum of church planting in Columbus that was already there, the stuff that God was already doing, and just fan a little flower on the flame there, bring a little oxygen to it. And, and so I did that for almost 10 years. And then a couple of years ago, the Midwest region was so large that the North American Mission Board decided we're not doing a good enough job planting churches around the Midwest, which is expanding rapidly. So they broke off the eastern part of the Midwest into um, what's now called the Ohio Valley region. So it's Indiana, Ohio, 
in Michigan and Michigan loves it that it's called the Ohio Valley region, which I kind of rubbed their noses in. But so they asked me if I could just kind of do for the region what I was doing in Columbus. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. It's a part-time capacity. And to be honest, guys are planting churches, God's calling people and churches are sending out teams. I mean, churches plant churches. Certainly I don't do that. We don't do that, but it's good to be there for guys as they're planting churches to be able to say, hey, here's what not to do. I bang my head against the wall enough times. Don't do this, you know. So how does a guy go from the metropolis of South Point, Ohio, to Columbus? There surely was some adjustment with that. How did you sense God's call to go to Columbus to plant a church and and maybe some hurdles that you experienced from bridging that gap from a South Point to Columbus? So I grew up in um, an association, an independent association of independent Baptist churches. And I am super grateful for my Appalachian roots, super grateful for the pastors that I had growing up. But one thing that was unique, at least I've learned now that was unique, I didn't know it at the time, you know, most all of our pastors were bivocational, most of them steel workers, who did an incredible job of trying to exposit God's word And at the same time, there were limitations because they were working 40 hours a week and doing other things. And so when I got to college, I just didn't know anything else. And when about halfway through my freshman year, I decided that, you know, this faith is mine. It's not my parents. And I want to live it. So I just went to the closest Baptist church that I could find to campus. So I rolled in there that Sunday morning. And I never forget, I walked through the door, there was a greeter at the door, they handed me a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper, there were sentences with blanks. And I was like, I wonder what these are. So I paid attention, and I realized as the guy was teaching, the pastor was teaching, they were putting up, fill in the blanks on an old overhead projector at the time. You remember those clear sheets that you could write on, that's what he was doing. And uh, I remember calling my parents. And telling them, I'm like, this was the most amazing thing. This guy knew everything he was going to say when he got up there. Like, it didn't feel like it was off the cuff. It didn't, it felt like it all moved together. And I literally said to my parents, I'm like, this guy's like Charles Stanley. Like, we used to watch In Touch growing up. So, whenever God started to speak to me, or whatever that would have been 18 months, 24 months later, you know, I said to the Lord, I have very faithful parents. My dad was a deacon. My mom was our church pianist for 26 years, but I didn't have any training and I didn't know anybody who had any training. So I told the Lord, I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to bring men into my life who can teach me how to do this because I don't have any idea how to learn how to know. God was faithful to answer that prayer, Matt. The men that I found when I went to seminary in Memphis just incredible godly influences. My campus minister at Ohio State. I mean, just incredible, incredible influences. God just answered that prayer and brought men into my life over the span of my life. But actually, the my student pastor, even though we didn't call him, I think we called him the team director. When I, my church growing up, eventually moved on and went to seminary, moved to Central Ohio, ended up being part of our church staff team. So he continued to be a just incredible, incredible mentor. So. So many times I feel like God's activity, the gospel, it moves along the rails of relationships. That was the primary mover, practically speaking, for me. You mentioned the importance of expository preaching. 
mm-hmm. you've been blessed. You've seen incredible growth, multiplied campuses, great influence there. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of expository preaching? What role that's played in the growth mm-hmm. of LifePoint Church? You know, I feel like probably a lot of us have heard a lot of sermons where the word becomes secondary to the primary theme or the uh, subject matter that we may want to address, you know, at times. I mean, you know, whenever I walk through the doors at the seminary that I attended at Mid-America in Memphis, one of the primary themes was, listen, you always stick to the text. You say what the text says first. Find out what God has said to us. Then you figure out, you know, your applications, your illustrations, all those kinds of things. And not to mention that whenever I went to Memphis, I was incredibly blessed to be able to go get an intern job at a church called Bellevue. And at that time, the pastor was Adrian Rogers, uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers. I got preaching class Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, hearing Dr. Rogers teach um, every week. So I was an intern there for 18 months. That was probably the best preaching class, to be honest. So my wife's grandfather is Gray Allison, who was the founder of the seminary and president while I attended there. And he taught whenever he was at New Orleans Seminary, Dr. Rogers, Dr. Jerry Vines, missions and evangelism. And so because of that, even just getting to know Dr. Rogers on a you know just a little bit more of a personal level and seeing that, man, his relationship with Jesus was primary. And that's why he loved God's word. That's why he loved the text. That was super helpful as well. So how would you say that that preaching influence has played into the growth of LifePoint Church? Because the foundation that I have before we ever started campuses, that was the emphasis for me. So that became normal life in our church. As a matter of fact, this coming Sunday, we're talking about just basic hermeneutical principles as part of the application of the text. You just talk about, hey, all the Bible is written to us, but it's not all written for us. Just because Noah built a boat doesn't mean you got to build a boat, right? I mean, just you know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Things like that, because that was so built into me, it's just built into our team. And so I feel like in a world, you know, that having done this now, I've been in ministry for you know almost 30 years, seeing trends come and go, what you really recognize is man, truth is what people need. In the gospel in the context of truth and grace, man, that's what that allows you to have something solid to rest on. You know, when you go lay your head on the pillow at night, you know, on Sunday evening, and you think, well, I could have done this better. I could have spent a little more time parsing this or whatever. But you think, man, you know what? I told people what God says, not what I say, not my ideas. Well, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul, in some of his final words to his son in the faith, Timothy, preach the word. They don't need the wisdom of Dean or the wisdom of Matt. They need what God has to say. Coming up on April 25th at Tri-State Bible College, the second annual Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry with hope in the darkness of Appalachia. The conference is a full day starting at 8 a.m. with keynote speaker Dean Falks from LifePoint Church in Columbus, Ohio, Dr. Jeff Van Gotham from Dallas Theological Seminary, and Dr. Jakata from Tri-State Bible College, and storyteller Jacob Marshall. 
if you or your ministry is in Appalachia and you're looking for a recharge as you're navigating reaching a lost and sometimes dark community, this conference is designed specifically for you. The Appalachian Ministry Conference is at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, Tuesday, April 25th. To register and for more information, visit tsbc.edu. That's tsbc.edu. Sounds like to me, I mean, as a guy who came from a conservative theological background, you went to a very conservative school, even when others were not conservative, Mid-America was holding high that banner of conservatism Mm -hmm. of truth. And I don't mean that politically conservative. I mean, of course, theologically conservative. And then you've instilled that in the DNA of LifePoint Church. And so there doesn't have to be a sacrifice of theology for church growth. Right. Absolutely. My grandfather-in-law, you know, he was a World War II bomber pilot, flew all over the world, even after World War II, visiting missionaries and just so committed to the gospel, going to the ends of the earth, that when those things come together, God's word and the mission uh, to make disciples fulfill the Great Commission, there's so much undone. Sometimes I'll talk to uh, or maybe I'll hear a podcast or something with a friend, you know, talk to a friend or it's kind of hard because, you know, you end up preaching the same thing. I mean, there's a whole lot of Bible to preach, right? <laughs> it's a whole lot. You don't have to preach the same passages every other. There's a whole lot to exposit and get through and apply and a whole lot of work, gospel work for us to do. You think of the words of Jesus teaching them to observe all mm-hmm. things that I have commanded you. Yeah. And so the, uh, Really, the course outline for uh, the discipling of the local church is all 66 books, every last bit of it. There it is. And so, Dean, you're going to be our keynote speaker for our Appalachian Ministry Conference coming up in April. You have come from Appalachia. You live in Columbus. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference in context between South Point, Ohio and Columbus, Ohio? Contextually, there's certainly diversity is different. That's not a kind of a black white issue when I'm talking about diversity. In Columbus, there's over 200 languages that are spoken. Those languages, the longer I am here, are less and less concentrated and they're more and more distributed. So, for example, just nationally, demographers say that by the year 2030, there will no longer be a majority population in the United States. So every population will be a minority population. That frames how we look at the future of ministry. That frames how we look at, you know, at least for me, how I'm thinking about legacy and things like that in the future. And so as far as difference goes there, I don't know certainly the demographic trends of Appalachia. Probably they're a little different than Columbus, but they're coming, right? It's going to be different for us as a nation, as a country. And then I just think the density, so think density and diversity. So the density of people here, is just different. I mean, there are people stacked on top of people. A lot of times people will ask me like, man, how's your church grown? I'm just blessed to plant a church in a place where there's a lot of people moving there. 
there's a whole lot of people around where we are planting that makes a difference. So sometimes in an Appalachian context where there aren't as many people who are moving in, I think it probably reframes some about what ministry context looks like. That's very, very helpful because you're living in an area where people are moving to and Appalachia very much is an area where people are moving from. The time in which you grew up in Appalachia and which I grew up in Appalachia, we saw Appalachia in continued decline from almost the moment we were born to this day. And those cities, like you said, when you wanted to go to the big city, you went to Huntington right across the river in the other direction to Ashland. And Huntington really is just a shell of itself from what it once Mm -hmm. was. And so too is Ashland. But as you've also said, the, the nations are still continuing to come, whether it be in rural America or in a more metropolitan area like that. So what do you do to keep going in in ministry? You said you're really working on three decades of ministry. It's easy to get mm-hmm. discouraged. So what is it that you do to continue on to keep going? I'm super blessed. When I was in seminary, I was discipled by a guy named Clyde Cranford for about a year and a half or about 18 months. He just had an incredible ministry kind of given to him from the Lord to disciple young men who were headed into ministry. And so the primary thing that he taught me is that spiritual intimacy always precedes ministry activity, spiritual intimacy over ministry activity. He just hammered that into my, my hammered, he hammered uh, a lot and then good. It was good for my soul. So primarily if we look at ministry as my love relationship with God, that removes so many of the factors that sometimes I let entangle my soul in terms of how I gauge my self-worth. How'd the sermon go on Sunday? How many people are attending? How many people are about? What's the budget? What's all those things that would push and that I allow to push me at times and allow myself to be more emotionally driven than gospel driven. I find those things are greatly diminished when I lead my heart towards the Lord and intimacy first. Mm, That's excellent. That's an excellent, excellent word. Some final encouragement for pastors in Appalachia. We've got a lot of guys who they've worked hard. They're plowing, they're planting, and they're discouraged. So what would be some encouragement that you would give to these brothers out there who are serving so well, but not seeing a multitude of harvest? The legacy statement, right? The Apostle Paul over his life, I fought a good fight. I finished my course, right? I've kept the faith. There's nothing in that legacy statement about how many churches he planted, about how many people came. There's no number in that. It's built around faithfulness to gospel ministry. And I think the good news for all of us is that is the same. That is uniquely the same. Now, the challenges are very different. And certainly to our brothers who are fighting those battles in Appalachia, they are unique. You invest in people and all of a sudden you find out they're moving to this city or that place or they're pulling up roots. And those things have a unique effect on our heart. But I'm grateful to the Lord that his faithfulness is still sure, steadfast, no matter where we are. And the bar for that is the same. 
Excellent. Excellent. Dean, it's been wonderful to get to spend a little bit of time with you, and we so look forward to having you at our Appalachian Ministry Conference on April the 25th. If you haven't signed up, please make sure that you go to the Tri-State Bible College website and sign up for that. It looks like we're going to have to cap attendance this year. The campus is not super large, but it's going to be a wonderful time. And Dean, we look forward to having you on campus and look forward to hearing more about how God used Appalachia to shape you to do what you're doing now. Brother, thank you for our time together today. Thanks so much, Matt. I look forward to being there in April. Whether your church has thousands on Sunday morning, hundreds, or just a handful, God's calling on your ministry is the same. Folks need to hear the gospel exactly as it's presented in the Word. Sin, pain, suffering, addiction, divorce, you name it, it's all around us. But God's Word is a light for our paths. If you're a pastor and you're looking for effective ways to minister to your community, Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.